singing. You may be seated. You know, I think every time Zach goes out of town, he gives poor Dewey the really high songs to sing the whole time. You guys did a great job. We are basses in the choir. Zach is a bass. So when he comes back, I'll make sure in the new year to give him grief for us, Dewey. Isaiah 9 is where we are. I actually had to say all that to get my voice back down to some normal range. I feel like I'm stuck up here. And you don't want to hear me preaching like Mickey Mouse. I almost asked Nate to go get me a water. In fact, Nate, can you do that for me? I'm going to embarrass you, bud. Can you go get me a cup of water and bring it in? After the early service and singing, and then preaching, and then singing, and then preaching, and knowing I'm preaching tonight, I better stay hydrated. Isaiah chapter 9, we've been in this passage for the last four weeks and will be today as we close out the year and this Christmas season. Let's read together verses 6 and 7, and then we'll jump into the preaching today. The Bible says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will Perform this. Father, this morning as we come to the Word of God, I pray that you would help us to see Jesus, our Prince of Peace. We live in a world of chaos and tumult, a world of tribulation and of trial. Father, I pray that in these moments, at the end and the close of a year, we would be able to come around and understand just who this Prince of Peace is and what He can do for us. Help us to understand what this peace is all about. So often we have a misconception of what the peace of God means. I pray that you would help us to know it today. Bless in this hour we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I I thought you were going to come up during prayer, pal. Sorry. Your mother has taught you well. Don't walk during prayer. Thank you. We've preached so far in this series that Jesus is wonderful. We said He's the immaculate, incarnate Christ. Jesus is counselor. He gave us both purpose and plan when He came to this earth. We noted that Jesus is God, the Mighty One, helping us overcome challenges and make the right choices in life. Jesus is our Father, everlasting. He is forever, and He is the Father of all of those who come by faith in Him. So now we come to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the royal one from whom true peace flows. President Reagan once said confidently that we have peace through what? Strength. Strength guarantees peace. That is the very essence of truth concerning our Savior, Jesus Christ. His power, His ability, His strength provides for us all the peace that we could ever want or hope for. 
His power over sin, His power over death, His power over hell are what frees us to have peace in this world. The title that we must deal with before we preach about peace this morning is that of Prince. He's called the Prince of Peace. It means an an individual who has immediate authority or leadership in a matter. In other words, the only one who can offer peace, the only one who can give to us peace, is the one who authored peace, Jesus Christ himself. The idea is that he is the one in charge of peace. Jesus both has the executive authority and the inherent ability to provide us with peace in this world. Thus, he is its prince. He is the captain of peace. In fact, the word prince here is used in Joshua chapter 5, speaking of the captain of the Lord's host, Jesus Christ at Christophany. And it says there, the captain. That word captain is the same word prince that is used here in the original language. Thus, the captain and author of our salvation is the one who offers you and I peace today. What a thought, then, to end a calendar year. What a thought to end the Christmas season. How does peace come to us? I think most of us would say, I'd like to have the peace of God. Well, how do you get it? How does peace come to us? It begins in our outline with surrender. We must surrender to Him. The word peace here is a word of war. It is the cessation of opposition and dissension. He brings to us victory, you might say, in that peace. But oh, we must surrender to him. Isaiah indicates that Christ's authority, his government here, and peace will ever be increasing in verse number 7. That means there is a drastic difference between the life that is at war with God and the life that is at peace with God. Peter giving the pattern of spiritual growth in the beginning of his second letter, said that the first thing that we add to faith or saving faith is virtue. The word virtue is an interesting word that Peter uses in 2 Peter 1 in verse 5. Just before telling us that we add to our faith virtue, he tells us at the end of 2 Peter 1 in verse 3 that we are called by God to glory and virtue. In other words, glory is the very essence of who God is. Thus, we can understand what virtue is. I want to be just like God, thus I must surrender to being just like God. You and I are nothing like God. But if we've been called to glory and virtue, then God has called us to his divine essence by surrender to his divine person. God's nature is ours only as we surrender to Christ. This is when his peace becomes our peace. Now, this morning, I'd like for us to walk through in our first note this morning, our first point, Matthew chapter 10. Turn there with me, if you will. Scott, I'm going to make a note. I'm ringing up here. I'm not sure if it's because my ears are still ringing from singing. Thank you. I appreciate it. That sounds better. I don't know if you all can still hear me, but now I can hear less of me. That's great. It's, it's, by the way, it's the 53rd Sunday this year, so you can forgive us for having some things that are off if they are. It's the, you know, you're supposed to have 52 Sundays in a year. This year we've had 53. How many of you knew that, by the way? How many of you said, if I'd known it, I wouldn't have come because I've already put my 52 in? <laughs> yeah, okay. I just want to make sure there. Matthew 10 has much to say about the life of surrender. 
In this passage, Jesus calls out the 12 apostles, and he begins to tell them what it means to follow him, the Prince of Peace. Peace comes through surrender to him. The God of this world, Satan, is at war with the God of heaven. The peace of God comes only when we accept Jesus Christ and reject our flesh and the world in which our flesh desires to exist. Thus, the only way to win is to surrender to God. Surrender is yielding. Peace, then, is linked to surrendering and following what Jesus tells us. But Jesus in Matthew 10 tells us that the life that is surrendered to Him will be vastly different. It may even be difficult. You see, sometimes most Christians think that peace means no problems. And that's not at all what the Prince of Peace tells us the life of Christianity will in fact be. In fact, in our first point in the notes, we can write this. When we surrender to Him, we have faith over fear. Fear of circumstances, fear of sin, fear of death, fear of doubt. Any fears that will cripple us and keep us from Him. Faith overcomes fear. Beginning in verse number 5, Jesus, in speaking to these apostles, says this. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go, not in the way of the Gentiles, into the city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, Cast out devils, freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. Now, what Jesus is telling them is, go do my work. You've surrendered to me. Now let your faith take over any fears of what might keep you from doing work for me. He goes on and says this in verse 11, And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire, or search out is what it means, who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into an house, salute it. By the way, the word salute here means shalom it, say hello, bless you. And if the house be worthy, or if it has its, in its heart or its desire a hearing of what you have to say, let your what? Peace, so the peace that we have becomes the peace that we give. Let your peace come upon it. But if you be not worthy, let your peace return to you. In other words, don't lose your peace. Don't get bothered if people don't listen to you sharing Christ with them. But you go out and share Christ and the peace that he gives to you. Faith over fear, he continues to write. Or speak, I should say. In verse 14, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when ye depart out of that house or that city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Man, that doesn't sound very peaceful. That doesn't sound very promising. But that's the life of a believer. We are sheep amongst wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up 
to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not you that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Notice verses 21 to 25. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death. The father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee you into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough. For the disciple or the one who is devoted follower of Christ, that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub or Lord of the flies, we see, how much more shall they call them of his household? In other words, you should be different. You should be noted. You should be understandable that you are different because your faith is over the fear of any rejection, of any disappointment. You are different because the peace of God is now a part of your life. You've surrendered to Him. By the way, when you read verses 10 or verses 5 through 25, you kind of finish with a, <laughs> that doesn't sound too great. That sounds pretty awful. I don't know if I want that. If you want Jesus Christ, you want that. This last message of this 2023, get nothing else from the message, but get this. If you're going to live for Jesus, you're going to have to live different. And people may not like it. You may have family members that look at you and say, what on earth has happened to you? And the answer is, the peace of God now rules in my life. I know Jesus Christ as my Savior. That is the question, isn't it? Do we really want Jesus? This is who Jesus presents himself as. This is what the life of peace looks like. This is the pattern that the Prince of Peace tells us as we sojourn in this earth, things will be like. By the way, the secret to success is if you just keep reading in verse 26. You start to see what the peace actually looks like in your life. He says this, fear them not, therefore. Boy, that's peaceful, isn't it? That's what peace is. It's a lack of fear. Our faith is enabling us. For there is nothing covered, there's nothing given secretly, in other words, that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. In other words, what Jesus is telling them is in private to them, but it's going to make a difference through them. Verse 27, what I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And here it is again, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. You want to talk a prince, an authoritative figure of peace? He said, don't worry what they will do to your physical body. That doesn't matter. Only worry about the one that can damage or do death or give death to your soul. He says, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a farthing and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father or the implication is without your father in heaven knowing it. 
Verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not. This is the third time he said it. Fear ye not, therefore. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you have surrendered by faith to him, there is nothing in this world that should move you. There's nothing that you need to be fearful of. In this very passage, the Apostle John is sitting there and listening. The Apostle John is being engaged by his Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know that same Apostle John would later write this 60 years after the ascension of Jesus Christ, after his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. John wrote these words in 1 John chapter 4 and in verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love, that is divine love, casteth out fear. Because fear, but it has torment. There's no torment for those that know the Prince of Peace. There's no dread that comes upon us. There's nothing that can shake us. There's nothing that can move us. There's nothing that should cause us to worry or cower in fear. Why? Because we have a good God and a Prince of Peace who is our Savior. He that feareth, he says, by the way, that phrase feareth, I've always taught you in the King James, it means the ongoing action. He or she that lives in a constant state of phobia and fear is not made perfect in love. You've not met the Prince of Peace. You've not surrendered to him yet. John understood as he's writing this first epistle, he's been isolated to the Isle of Patmos. He's been dipped in hot oil and his body is emaciated because of it. He understood that they would likely kill his body, but they could not touch his soul. For that was safe and secure in the Prince of Peace himself. A soul surrendered to Jesus Christ has the everlasting peace of God because it has the presence of God. The Apostle Paul wrote this to his son in the faith, Timothy, in his last letter as well. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. In other words, don't be ashamed of your salvation. And Paul says, nor of me as prisoner. But he goes on to tell Timothy, but be thou partaker of the afflictions or the troubles that the gospel might bring. Be partakers of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power, enabling the exousia of God, the dynamite power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now, today, presently, made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death. Man, that's great. That makes him the Prince of Peace. And hath brought life and immortality to light. In other words, we can see it. It's a reality to us now through the gospel. Opposition, persecution, conflicts, they're all still going to happen in the life of a believer. But buddy, if you are surrendered to Christ, your faith can conquer any fear. That's what it means to know the Prince of Peace peace of God can rule our lives if we simply surrender to his leading, if we choose to do his will.
Jesus is so confident of this. He says this very statement in John chapter 14 and verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Boy, that's good news. Surrender begins with faith over any fear and any doubt that we may have. But surrender also comes with faith over our flesh. It's not just the fearful things, it's also the fleshly things. When we surrender to Him, we are saying no to ourselves. When we accept Him, we reject us, we might say. Your flesh will ruin God's peace in your life. Your flesh is not at peace with God. Your flesh is dead damned, condemned. It is in darkness. It is the opposite of who and what God is. And so anytime we act and operate in our flesh, our faith dies a little within us. Oh, we can't lose it forever. That's the beauty of salvation. But boy, if we don't surrender to him day by day and we live instead in our flesh, we are a miserable people. We don't know the peace of God. Your flesh will ruin God's peace. All you need to do is look in the first chapters of the Bible and see what happened to Adam. Staying here in Matthew chapter 10, let's look at the next few verses. Begin down in verse 34 with me. If you look there, you see Jesus is speaking again. He says this, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. Wait, what? Did you read that right with me? Does your Bible say the same thing mine does? What what did Jesus just say there? Think not that I'm come to send peace on the earth. Wait, is he contradicting himself? That's why you have to read the whole Bible, not just one verse of the Bible. This is one of those verses that the atheists and the agnostics love to pull out and say, did Jesus say that? What are you going to say to him, friend? I mean, do you look like the cartoon? I don't know what to say. You're welcome, Brian. Brian, I always do one good one for you, friend. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? What does that mean? I came not to send peace but a sword. Well, let's keep reading and find out what it means. It's speaking to our flesh. Our flesh has to die, and it only dies by a sword. Keep reading, and the Bible says this. For I come, for I am come, excuse me, verse 35, to set a man at variance, that means in opposition, against his father, And the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. In other words, what Jesus is doing, he's driving it down to the very point of this. What is your most intimate earthly relationship? Well, it's probably a parent and a child. It's probably to those that they love. And what Jesus is saying is, yes, those are still fleshly attachments. There is going to be a supreme attachment that is even above those. He doesn't start worrying about talking about your pets. He doesn't start talking about your cars or your house because we can easily give those up. He's saying every relationship of this world has to become subservient to our surrender to Christ. Or you will never have the peace of God in its fullness. 
He goes on and says this, in a man, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This isn't Kyle saying this to you. This is not me trying to convince you in some fashion that you should be more faithful to church. This is me telling you, if you want to know the Prince of Peace, you got to listen to the Prince of Peace. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. A cross is an instrument of death. It mortifies the deeds of our flesh, Paul says. Verse 39, he that findeth his life shall lose it. Now that phrase or that statement simply means this. If you go about your whole life living for your own ambitions, your own dreams, your own goals, following your own aspirations, thinking yourself to be something when you really are nothing, you have found your life in this life, but you've lost it in the eternal say. You say, well, can I be saved and do that? You can, but what's the point? You're going to get to heaven and go, what? I wasted 30 years or 50 years or 100 years, however long God has you on this earth after salvation. You will ultimately lose the value of this life. But he finishes by saying this, and he that loseth it, in other words, constantly turns his life and his desires over to me for my sake shall find it. What a joy. The statement of Jesus seems to be contradictory here to the rest of the Bible. I did not come to send peace into the world, but you're the prince of peace. And the answer is yes, I came to provide you peace but not the world peace. Now that sounds contradictory, but salvation is always personal. There's no universal salvation. It's individual and personal salvation. I have to trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior. You weren't born a Christian. You were born a sinner in the race of Adam. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, but he said that he did not come to send peace into the world. To resolve this statement, we need only to understand that Jesus will not have peace with sin ever. He came to crush sin. He came to conquer Satan. And he came to consecrate you from your selfishness. That's what he did on the cross. That's what Jesus came to accomplish. That's his peace. And he's the prince of it. So while he is the Prince of Peace, he did not come to sit around and talk to you about your feelings or things that give you pleasure or things that you want to accomplish in this life. Jesus doesn't care about those things. He only cares about you surrendering to him, period. I knew this morning there would be a whole lot less amens because this is probably one of the most personal messages out of the 53 preached this year. Everybody wants the peace of God, but nobody wants to do what's necessary to be at peace with God. Jesus and his peace is yours as you surrender your flesh and its desires to him. This is where most believers struggle. They don't know God's peace because they don't obey God's word. John 15 and verse 14 is in the passage Jesus gives about abiding in Christ. And he says this, ye are my friends. Oh, what a comfort. If, uh uh-oh. If. Well, I, I just thought he was my friend. 
I mean, every church I've ever been to, they told me Jesus is my friend. Jesus is your friend. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we opened worship with that very passage this morning. God does love you, but he's not your friend until you surrender to him. That's the truth of the Bible. Every one of you that disagrees in your own heart and mind this morning, you take it up with me and prove me different from the Bible. Prove me wrong. Ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Jesus, of course, commands us to love God. He commands us to love others. He commands us to cease from sin. He commands us to draw near to Him throughout the pages of the Old and the New Testament. None of those allow for fleshly indulgence. The problem for most of us as Christians is that we fear missing out on earthly pleasures. But may I tell you, there is no greater joy, there is no greater pleasure, there is no greater contentment than can be found in the full presence of Almighty God. A verse that we all know, and most of us probably quote, is Psalm 16 and verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. Hallelujah. And in thy presence is fullness of joy. Boy, that is a peaceful place to dwell. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Can I tell you a secret this morning? Most Christians do not believe this verse. It's because as Christians, especially in modern America, we have far too many creature comforts and conveniences. I don't know. I like my own pleasure. Can I tell you, if you would just drop your own pursuits and follow hard after Jesus Christ, you will find that there is a joy and a contentment, a peace beyond what you could ever understand. It takes surrender. Many will hear a pastor preach this and think, yeah, sure. Let me know how that works out for you. And they'll go off as Christians pursuing their own ambitions, their own lusts. And they will constantly come to the preacher or to some spiritual friend and say, I just don't know about my salvation. I'm just not at peace with God. You know why you're not? Because you're living for yourself. God did not come to make you happy. He came to make you holy. And it's only through Jesus Christ. You will never know the pleasure and peace in the presence of God until you choose to surrender everything in your life to Him. The Prince of Peace demands our surrender. There is no argument or debate. He's the victor. We did not sit down with the Germans or the Japanese or the Italians after World War II and in the process of signing an armistice say, you can keep doing everything you were doing before. No, when we conquered them, we won. They agreed to our terms. And that's the way it is with God. He is the Prince of Peace, but He's the victor. And as the Romans would say, to the victor go the spoils. Now, take heart. You and I in our life and our well-being are His spoils. God actually wants what's good for you. When you get saved and as you grow in your sanctification, it is total surrender, a full yielding to God that will bring the fullness of his peace. When you do that, you will find that, number two, he satisfies us. You see, the first part is kind of hard, right? I got to surrender. Man, that is all in. Absolutely, it's all in. But here's the second part. When we are all in on God, he's all in on us. And he satisfies. 
He gives a joy and a contentment and a peace that we've never known before. Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. As you turn there, I'll read one verse that we'll go through in just a moment, but to just set our context. In verse 7 of chapter 4, Paul writes this, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Peace, then, is a state of tranquility or quietness of spirit that transcends our circumstances. The best picture in all of the Bible of the peace of God or the Prince of Peace is Jesus asleep down in the hold of the ship while the storms are raging. The apostles are out there tacking the sails, mending the, the ship, bailing the water overboard, and they come down to Jesus sound asleep in the midst of life storms and said, What are you doing? And he gets up, he walks out, says to the water, what? Good. See that we've been consistent all year. Peace, be still. Why would he say that? Because he was manifesting outwardly what he was inwardly. When we read the phrase in Isaiah 9 and verse 6 that he is the Prince of Peace, it speaks to his attribute that he doesn't share with mankind, and that is that he is immutable. He's unchanging. When you're an immutable God, when you're a God that never changes, there's nothing that will change you. That's the state of being immutable. It's the fact of being unchanging. And so when God speaks that from that ship, when Jesus says those words, the disciples get a glimpse of this is what's going on inside him all the time. Peace. Be still. Peace is a state of tranquility or quietness of spirit. The term peace is described in Scripture as a gift from God. It runs actually in harmony or in congruency with his very character. Just before what we read this morning in Romans 5 and verse 8, back in Romans 5 and verse 1 and 2, he says this, Therefore, Paul writing, being justified by faith, there's salvation, we have what? What's the thing we get? Peace. With who? With God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom, we get an extra benefit besides just having peace, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. And guess what? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God or that we can actually be changed into his doxa, into his presence, his likeness. The very word used in Isaiah 9 and verse 6 is the word shalom. It might be the most common daily word in the Hebrew tongue. It means in various different usages and forms, be well, farewell, good day, blessed day. Obviously, it means in the many various utterances, this, God be with you throughout this day. This is who Jesus is. He wants to be with you throughout the day. He is the Prince of Peace. And thus, as an immutable prince of peace, unchanging in his nature, he can satisfy all those who are surrendered to him. He does so first through loving communion. And that's what we'll look at here in Philippians chapter number 4. How do we get satisfied? Where does the satisfaction of our soul and the peace of God actually enter into our lives? And the answer is in loving communion with him. It's interesting, the book of Philippians is a book of joy written to a people who are giving and loving and serving within their local church in Philippi. Yet, 
we find a little picture that even in paradise, there's always trouble. In verses 1 through 3, we find a little bit of a conflict going on. Two ladies are at odds with each other. Paul is asking for the two ladies to put their odds apart. In other words, put it away from you. Be over it. You can have peace with God and with one another. It's within this context that he gives us these verses beginning in verse number 4. He says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So in other words, the way that we get over our disagreements with one another is to rejoice in the Lord. You know, a lot of people in a lot of churches don't have peace with people in those churches or other Christians or other people that are non-Christians because they're all worked up about things that have been done to them. But if you know Jesus Christ and have surrendered to him, who cares what they do to you? Loving communion with God allows us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He goes on in verse 5 and says, Let your moderation or let the manner of your living, your conduct be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. He's coming back. Be careful for nothing. What he's saying here, that word careful in the original language, has the idea of uh, don't worry about anything. Don't sit around fretting about stuff. Faith over fear. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And, he says in verse 7, the result of this communion, ultimately, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep guard or instill in your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. In other words, there is this peace that passes our understanding. I don't know why I'm not worked up over this. The answer is because I'm trusting Jesus in this. Verse number 8, finally, brethren. Whatsoever things are true. By the way, if I have the peace of God, the only way I stay in the peace of God is through the faith that I have in God, and it will help me overcome my flesh. This communion is necessary. The problem is most Christians don't do verse number 8. Listen, look. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report. If there be any virtue, there's that idea again of surrender and yieldedness. If there's any virtue in you, if there's any Christ-likeness in you, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Verse 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, Pastor Paul is saying, do them. And the God of what? Shall be with you. You get the idea that if I have loving communion with Almighty God, it makes all the difference in the world. When we look at this and consider it, peace then unfolds as we learn about God. As we look at it, look at verse number 8 if you have your Bibles there. Look again. And ask yourself this question. Are these in my life? If I'm satisfied with him, I've surrendered to him, and I've sat, I'm satisfied with him living in communion with him, do I think on things that are lovely? Do I think on things that are true? Do I think on things that are pure and honest and of a good report? Can I tell you, most of that is not coming across your television set. Most of that is not found in your modern music. I mean, the old joke of a country music song is what? You play it backwards, you get your dog back, you get your house back, you get your wife back. You say, man, Pastor, you really are living this 53rd Sunday like there's no tomorrow. 
I just want to do those things. I like them. I like them. Well, then you'll never know the peace of God. Good luck to you. I love you. I'm your pastor. I want to help you. But if you don't fill your life with true things, honest things, pure things, lovely things, we look on the internet and we watch, especially those of the younger age, they watch all kinds of filth on the Tic Tac and the Instapot. I say that, young people, just so the older folks in here can laugh with us. Is there a lot of lovely, true, pure things on those places? By the way, the younger kids don't understand this. There's not a lot of good on Facebook either. There's not a lot of good on Twitter X, whatever it's called today. I tried to call it Twix and nobody would take that one. You see, the problem for us is we're not satisfied in living within the peace of God because we're living within our own selfish confines. We fill our minds up with all kinds of filth and with all kinds of garbage and all kinds of problems and all kinds of struggles and all kinds of anger and all kinds of hate and all kinds of hostility. And we get to the end of the day and we say, I'm going to have no peace. No, you don't have any peace. No one in that kind of world would have that much peace. It's not a shock. It's not a surprise. It's not like these things just happen to us and go, oh, the Bible teaches us these things. Peace unfolds as we learn more about God. The more that we know of His love, of His kindness, of His power, and of His purpose, the more peace that we will have in every circumstance that comes into our life. The greatest lesson of this is old Job, isn't he? The great lesson of Job himself is not that God treated Job however God wanted to, though he can. He's God. The great lesson in truth for Job and that Job learned about God in a way that no one on earth ever has is that God still cares for us no matter our circumstance. And so when Job at the very end in chapter 38 makes his final plea to God, And his friends and his pastor, it seems, are done talking to him. God thunders in and says, where were you when I made the mountains? You want to know the God of peace? Know the one that put the mountains together. Job's story, by the way, ends with him offering sacrifices to God because of God's goodness to him. Job even offers for his friends because his friends did not know God in the same way that Job now knew God. By the way, a lot of times the deep valleys, the hurts, the pains, the circumstances, the troubles and the trials that you are asked to go through are to refine you and to make you more into the image of Christ and to have a deeper peace of God in your life. Peter seemingly knew this. I often wonder where it lodged in Peter's mind throughout the time after the Lord Jesus Christ ascended. But Peter wrote both of his epistles, and he began them this way. In 1 Peter 1 and verse 2, he says, "...elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ." All Peter has done, as told us in those first statements, is there's one day that we will be overly glorified in perfection with God the Father. Right now we are sanctified through His Holy Spirit because there was a day that we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he finishes by saying, "...grace unto you, and peace be what?" You know the difference between multiplication and addition? 
Some of you are looking at me like, you're pressing your luck today, bud. You know, when you go one plus one, it equals two. Addition looks like it's beating math or uh, multiplication because one times one is only one. But when you get to two plus two, it's four. And what is two times two? Four. Good. Thank you. I'm just checking here. I, I put the fingers up there not to fool you. All right. What is three plus three? What is three times three? Once you get past two and you get into three, by the way, there's a triune God. And once you get into three, there is a threefold cord. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us is not easily broken. Once you get to three, addition can never catch up to multiplication. What Peter is telling them here is, I want God's grace and his peace to be so abundant in your life that it's just growing exponentially. Not marginally, not nominally, not additionally. He said, I want it to be multiplied. He even says this in his second letter. As he opens that letter, he says this. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. That's you and me this morning. He literally could be sitting down on December 31st, 2023, and pinning this very letter to us. He says, of, who have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. All stop. Or does he say something else? He says something else in this one. How is the grace and peace of God multiplied in your life? Through the knowledge of God and through the knowledge of Jesus our Lord. The less you know about God, the less He is important to you, the less peace of God you will have in your life, period. Grace and peace will not be multiplied to you. The more you learn of God, the more you know about Jesus Christ, the deeper your communion, the greater your peace will be. Here's a great statement that Paul gives at the end of Ephesians in chapter 3, and I have to hustle along here this morning. He says this in verse 14, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in or in your inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to do what? Comprehend with all of the other saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, or it passes understanding. The peace is that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly, above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory... In the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end, so be it. Amen. Amen. What a prayer. What a communion. What a peace that Paul likely had. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. He's told them about resurrection life. He's told them about the faith in Jesus Christ. He's told them about what is to come. He precedes this verse by saying, Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He said, there's no power of the grave to those that know Jesus Christ. And here's what he says in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That is great satisfaction. Our satisfaction grows through loving communion with Christ, and the result is, letter B, living contentment. Peace is equal parts communion and contentment. 
Continuing to read in Philippians chapter 4 and in verse 10, he says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Paul's talking about how the Philippians took care of their pastor or him. Wherein ye are also careful or mindful, but ye lacked opportunity. By the way, I can agree with Paul. That's how Jessica and I feel in the pastorate or in the, the role of pastor here at Bluegrass. You all always look for opportunities to be a blessing to those that serve on the church staff. You are no different than the Philippians. And so Paul then goes on to say this. Not that I speak in respect of want. He wanted to make sure they knew I'm not needing anything. He says, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be what? That's a state of peace. The Greek term Paul used here, translated content, describes a state of being satisfied with things as they are. Paul had learned the secret, we might say, of contentment because he knew God's peace. Paul would later tell Timothy that godliness with contentment is great gain or a great benefit to your life. God's peace rests upon those who are content with God being God as they obediently live out their lives for him. That's what contentment could be defined as. In fact, it is summarized so well in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. This is the reality that those who are filled with contentment know. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. For God says, Jesus says, I will never leave thee, nor what? Forsake thee. So this morning, Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is counselor. Jesus is the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. And truly, as we've seen this morning, He is our Prince of peace. 2023 is closing in just a few hours. Another year of opportunity lays ahead. So the questions I put on the bottom of your notes are relevant for you to ask and to answer this morning in this invitation time. Will you live 2024 with the peace of God ruling your heart? Amen, Pastor, I will. Okay, then go back and see the notes from today. You have to surrender to Him, and you have to draw your only satisfaction from Him. Will you be content in the communion you have with Christ? Will you surrender by faith to overcome your fears in the flesh? The choice ultimately is yours. Jesus never changes. He is and has been and always will be the Prince of Peace to those who come by faith to Him. Father, help us, I pray, as we close this morning.